Even long weekends are short, so why spend a second of this one on a drink run? Instead, get drinks delivered right to your door with Drizzly. Drizzly is the easiest way to find the best prices on beer, wine, and spirits, so you can get back to lighting those totally legal fireworks. Download the app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. Because the long weekend will be over before this ad is. Must be 21 plus. Not available in all locations. What's up, friends? Welcome back to another episode of the New Evangelicals podcast. All right, this is kind of like an emergency broadcast episode because I just interviewed Jessica Johnson. Now, if you don't know the name, you should, because she wrote the book Biblical Porn, which was actually a study on a small little church you might have heard of called Mars Hill. Yes, that Mars Hill, the one that Mark Driscoll started. Now, of course, a lot of us know that Mark Driscoll is really under fire recently. Also, he's been platformed recently, and we've covered it pretty extensively on our Instagram. And I wanted to get Jessica on because Jessica has been following Mark and Mars Hill for a long time, way before um, you know the more recent Mars Hill podcast came out, uh, put on by Christianity Today. So I wanted to get her on. The other interesting thing that I discovered in the interview is that Jessica does not identify as a Christian. She is an um, anthropologist and her job is to do these kinds of studies and to research this kind of stuff. So it was actually fascinating getting someone's perspective who is really outside of the evangelical bubble and to get her view on this. Uh, Jessica also recently wrote an article kind of criticizing the rise and fall of Mars Hill podcast um, for it just not being maybe as thorough as it could have been. So we talked about that. We talked about her time at Mars Hill. And of course, we talked about the future of the evangelical church and what that might uh, look like. So thank you, Jessica, for coming on last minute. I hope you all enjoyed this interview. That being said, of course, if you can give us a rating and a review um, on YouTube or on podcasts. That would be so helpful. Friends, the subscriptions, the liking, the reviewing. I know everyone asks for it. And the reason why is because it really helps out the show that you're listening to. So if you could just take a second, as long as you're not driving um, or pull over and you can rate this episode right now and give us a subscribe, that would be a huge help. I appreciate all of that. Don't forget, if you want to support the work that we do, you can click on the link in our show notes that brings you to our current fundraising campaign called the Finding Our Voices campaign. We are trying as we speak to raise money to create and um, and um, put on a docu-series called Community Conversations that is designed to elevate stories that we need to share and that this church needs to hear. So all the details are on that link. It would be a huge help. We are getting there. We are about a third of the way funded, which is huge. We're only a month in to this process. So thank you to everyone who is giving um, monthly. It, it truly not only helps keeps our lights on, and you can see from my background here, there's not a lot going on. So it helps take care of the overhead and the costs, but it also helps to fund our future projects. All right. Enough of me talking without further ado further ado. There we go. Here is my interview with Jessica. I hope you enjoy it. 
All right, Jessica, I appreciate you making time to come on the podcast. I know it's kind of short notice, but this is a very hot button issue, especially right now. And I think it's important to strike while the iron's hot to bring as much attention to this issue as possible. And you seem like it seems like you've been sounding the alarm before this. This was the cool and hip thing to do. So (laughs) thank you for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Tim. Absolutely. I, I want to start. Why don't you kind of give us your background? Like, who is Jessica? You know, what's your background? And then we'll go from there. So I'm an anthropologist by training. I'm working in religious studies uh, affiliation right now at William & Mary uh, in Virginia. And uh, I've taught in gender, women, and sexuality studies as well. So I've done three different fields. Yeah. So I'm very interdisciplinary, as they like to say, in academia. Uh, (laughs) So there's a nice buzzword for everybody. (laughs) But uh, yeah, so, so that's my deal. And I started my work on Mars Hill in 2006. I was, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is like, I mean, it was basically a decade long project building up to the book and actually like writing it all. Um, And, you know, I I can't give it up because it keeps going. (laughs) I mean, you know, I mean, I I wish I could. I really, I wish I didn't have to keep talking about Mark Driscoll, but. (laughs) Especially knowing how much he probably likes it, you know, it makes you even angrier. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. So, um, so yeah, so I started in 2006. I started attending the church then. I was going to sermons every week. I was going to Bible classes. I was going to gospel classes for membership, um, gender and sexuality seminars. I mean, you know, it was easy for me to go two, three times a week to the church. Um, My dissertation research now for my doctorate, right, wasn't on Mars Hill, uh, technically. It was actually on the politics of gay marriage. And I was looking at both sides of the issue, not trying to advocate for one side or the other. And one of the reasons I was really interested in Mars Hill is I'd heard it was was attracting young folks, um, especially from universities, like I was teaching at University of Washington. That's where I got my doctorate. Um, And then also it, you know, it was like, you know, the kind of, it was talk about a buzz, right? So the podcast has a buzz. Marzilla had that same buzz, you know, Um, and it really did. And so like people were talking about it, like, you know, just around the city, it was really making an impact, you know, culturally speaking beyond right church folks. Right. So, um, so yeah, it was, it was interesting to me to go check it out because they were not protesting against gay marriage, like other churches that coming from a conservative the ilk were, um, you know, like Antioch Church, for example, was like a suburban church that was very, um, Ken uh, Hutcherson was the pastor there, you know, was very actively uh, protesting against it. Um, James Dobson came mm, into town, yeah, you know, they yeah. had some big events, um, but most yeah. never actively participate in any of that. So that was intriguing to me as well. I was like, okay, because I wanted to find kind of like outliers, you know, it was this for or against stuff. And like right. part, of my, part of what I wanted to do is kind of like problematize or trouble that a little bit, like see what was going on, like, like beyond the for and against kind of like extreme positions. And so I walk in and I, I have told this story before, but but basically I walk into the, the service and it feels like, you know, an art gallery, like there's, there's you know, uh, congregants art on the walls. It's like cream colored coffee shop kind of vibe, you okay. know, very, yeah. very indie. And, um, and so, you know, it was comfortable, right? Yeah, you yeah. walk in, you could be anonymous, you know, you just walk in and sort of like grab your coffee, grab a Bible if you want it, you know, that kind of thing. And like sit down in a pew slash chair really yeah. um and and just chill out right so yeah. the music comes on 
you know, it's good. It's not your typical Christian rock, you know, um, again, like the podcast very much like mimics the sound and the vibe of all of that. Yeah. Um, and, and so then Mark comes out after the worship music stops, like a rock star, I say in my book and tells the joke of, uh, Talladega, Talladega nights, uh, Ricky Bobby about smoking hot wife. He was the first pastor. I know this is a trope now, right? Like so, so many, I mean, I've made so, so many, many memes about this. Okay. <laughs> Good for you, man. Thank you. Thank You're you for welcome. doing the memes. I got to check that out because like, there's just so many pastors doing this now. It was the first time I heard yeah. it. I don't know. There may have been, I don't want to say he was the first, right. maybe there was somebody right. before him, but I mean, he was the guy that I heard first say that. And, and give that joke. And the, the, the thing that, that my book kind of like thinks through is how gestures, glances, different kinds of like surveillance and kind of like affective bodily and emotional kind of um, forms of power, like operate through us without us necessarily realizing that it's happening at the time. Yeah. So when he did that gesture like this on stage, as though he's slapping his wife mm. on the behind I've yes. used all the language in the past, but anyway, that got clipped in the podcast. Um, so I'm not going to use it here. So, so <laughs> I, I saw that gesture and I heard the laughter around me and I was just like, wow, this is wild. Like mm. what is happening in this space? That's right. like, you know, I, I was raised a Catholic. I have some background going to that kind of a church service. This com completely blew me out of the water in terms of everything that I had definitely, you know, been used to. Um, Can I ask you a quick question? Sure, go about for that. It, so, yeah. th were you, did you not grow up evangelical? Then you grew up in more um, liturgical services. Mm -hmm. Okay, that makes yep. a lot of sense because I hate to say it, but to me, hearing that, it's like, well, I mean, not that I've seen that exact example, but I, I grew <laughs> okay. up in those more evangelical, especially right. after I hit like age twelve or thirteen when when my church started modernizing. It was always that relaxed. So to me, I'm like, yeah, that's just kind of how it goes. But to you on the outside, it was just I've never seen a quote unquote church service this laid back and casual. Is that kind of what you're saying? Oh, absolutely. hundred okay. percent. Yeah. Okay. I, I totally felt that. Like, you know, okay. I was, the, I was the kid who like, I had to put on a dress when I went to church, you know sure, what I mean? Yeah, like that yeah, whole yeah. thing. And totally. I've got the tattoos I've got, you know, and I've been living in Seattle for a long time at that point. So I felt completely comfortable there. Right. Like yes. as a, as a yes. non-Christian and that was kind of the whole line, right? Like we're attracting non-Christians into our church by having a culturally liberal, very Seattle friendly kind of vibe about us. Right. Yes. And, and they did that well. Um, at least by my experience, like I, I was, I thought, all right, well, this is kind of interesting, but again, like the, the, the gesture of that and the laughter of that, like, I was like, wow, he just sexualized and objectified his wife, yep, you yep, know, on yep. stage slash pulpit in yep. a way that I would be really uncomfortable with if I was certainly his wife, and as some a woman just sitting in the, you know, right. watching this guy before he even opens up the sermon, right? right. Which had nothing to do with sex at all, right? Mm -hmm. So, and that's what I started noticing like pretty quickly is that like not only the objectification of women, like he would talk about like songs a lot and talk about the fawns and songs being breasts, you know, and the only guys who don't like breasts are guys who are blind or dead, or sometimes that would change up into blind or gay, you know, but mm. like that, that kind of stuff would come up those quips, right? Yes. Those kinds of jokes yes. that were, that were consistently objectifying women, sexualizing women, um, would come up quite frequently mm. at the same time that he's preaching a very anti-porn 
doctrine, right? So uh-huh. like, and especially the fact that not only was it anti-porn, but it was like, guys can't help but see porn everywhere uh-huh. right so so it's it's in the cosmopolitan magazines in the in the you know uh grocery store it's the woman across the you know uh window in your car it's the woman who serves you coffee it's like so and and you know the whole and if there's a book of you know there are books that actually detail this as well but he's, he's sure, tripping sure. from these books but like you know there's a rolodex that guys have in yes. their heads of all these images of, of women they encounter throughout their day and so when when he's preaching this, like guys can't help but lust in this way, and they are constantly tempted through everyday lives all the time um, by images of women, and and wives have to submit to their husbands sexually whenever yeah. and however they want. Right. You know, it's not such a leap to start to to figure out that that's pretty abusive, right? That yeah. there's there's ways that that's going to get abused within marriages for sure. Yep. Um, yep. And also, and also, training people like get married in the church, have kids in the church, right? Start early, start now. Totally. We're have, we're, and that's where the empire component comes in, right? We're going to have a multi generational legacy in the city and beyond. You know, I mean, it was really like, and that's at the time too. Like 2006 was. Um, when they were starting to just experiment with the whole multi-site model. Yep. Mm-hmm. So there was one suburban church that was kind of an experimental model in, in Shoreline, a suburban area in Seattle that had opened up. And uh, and then they started expanding pretty shortly after that experimental model, like 2007, 2008. 2008, they opened up a church uh, in Olympia, Washington. So that's further afield. They were replicating around Seattle, not only like churches, but community groups. You know, eventually there started to be these mappings, you know, of like, here are all the places in the city that were popping up everywhere. And, Mm. you know, it kind of almost looked like a, like a, you know, war room, you know, combat mm. model of like, you know, yep, yep. we're taking over. Little outposts <laughs> everywhere. Like there's yes. a base here, a base here, a base yeah. here. Okay. That's so, very interesting. So, so you were there, it sounds like, again, from what you're saying that you were there kind of incognito to kind of understand what's going on, to kind of understand the culture better because you were looking, because at the time Mars Hill wasn't, wasn't approaching the the issue of gay marriage the same way that you know Dobson was or, or these other people who really are totally a Mark's circle theologically, but Mark's approach was totally different. So that's what kind of got you there. Is that kind of correct? Totally. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. However, what I also was seeing at that yeah. time is, is the thing that I shared in my review of the podcast, that 2006 yeah. Brian McLaren response on the quote unquote homosexual question, right? That came up in yeah. Leadership Journal where, where Mark just went off, right? Like calling himself a, a male lesbian and like talked about, I mean, I don't want to reiterate all this stuff, frankly, sure. but like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's sexist, it's racist in the way that he, he mentions a particular figure trope again. Um, yeah. And it's also, and it's also like, homophobic and homophobic in a, like a really dehumanizing way yeah. where if you want to make a theological point, you know, fair deuce. Okay. If you want to, if you have a theological difference with McLaren on this issue, but what I was right. seeing online was so much more aggressive, yes. right. And, and in some ways more um, to my mind, horrible than the people who are actually just coming out and saying we're against gay marriage, if that makes sense. Right. Like, so yes. protest against it, if you're against it, but, but his thing was the subterfuge, right. Where he's yeah. like pretending like they're kind of, 
Cool. And he even said that in that in that pop, that the post that I um, quoted. Right. Like well, we're, we're in the least church city in the country. And, you know, we're a lot more liberal than the most because we have to be to attract people. And but at the same time. Right. There was this really horribly divisive. And again, it's beyond offensive to my mind. It's really dehumanizing stuff yes. with preaching. Yeah. And, and so I was just like, okay, that's again, where things, things clicked for me pretty quick. Like I, I just, I really realized that something deeper was happening that was really problematic. And even though I was an outsider just coming into these public spaces, I, I need to be clear too, like ethically speaking as an anthropologist, like I was always open about being a researcher, doing um, work mm. on the politics of marriage and family in relationship to the gay marriage issue. Like that was something I was always um, very open about. And yeah. also yeah. when people would, you know, the questions people would ask me were usually like, are you a Christian? How long have you been at Mars Hill? Right. You know, that kind of stuff. And I was always open about that and why I was there. So none of that was ever like hidden. Okay. Right. Right. But I have to also say that I wanted to talk to people and I had to get Mark's permission to do it. <laughs> because, really? Yeah. See, there's this whole thing we, we have to do as anthropologists. It's, it's like the ethical review boards, right? Institutional review boards. Oh, okay. So to do, to do what they call human subjects. Um, so human subjects research. So basically I, part of the book details, like my trying to get permission from Mark to talk to people and of course, that was impossible. I mean, he wasn't going to let a, a woman anthropologist from the University right. of Washington right. doing her right. doctorate on this research talk right. to people. You but are the, the liberal enemy in his mind <laughs> right. who's infiltrated no. his, his, his army totally. barracks, essentially. Totally, <laughs> totally, totally. I will say, though, that like I did meet him. Um, it okay. happened that he was at actually a, a gospel. I mean, it was totally un, like unintentional in a sense. Like I went to this gospel um, meeting, like, again, those meetings that you had to go to to get mem to, to be a member. And um, he gave a talk, I believe it was either the first or second one. And, and so he was the primary speaker. And after he spoke for the hour or so that he did, he, he gave time for questions. Okay. And so I waited until, you know, I just wanted to also like be respectful, but also watch people interact with him. So I right. waited till the very end of the line. It was full of young folks to a lot of younger people. Um, and and I, I was standing next to a couple of guys and they were just like in awe of him. Sure, you know, it was sure. just this total worship, celebrity yeah. worship thing going on. And we talked about service to the church and they were talking about how they were looking forward to serving. It's also the first time that I kind of gleaned that a lot of guys would like, you know, like live together in houses and stuff. Yep. And so there's this kind of yep. like fraternity thing again, which is like, it turns out not that uncommon it's with not. certain kinds of churches that kind of do have this building kind of mentality. Right. hundred percent. You know, so um, so I, I got into that kind of, you know, feeling and I started learning about that. And then I talked to Mark and I asked him about, you know, getting an interview with him. I asked him about interviewing other people. Of course, he was evasive, very nice, you know, sure, sure. Um, very friendly, very patient. I also talk about, though, like so that was one of the first times, too, I noticed somebody checking out my, my hand for a wedding ring. Um, it wasn't the first time I don't believe, but it was a constant thing. So that was another gesture that I saw happen huh. a lot among men and women. Cause again, I, a single woman too, I'm a threat. Like he, he made single women into threats in that environment. Right. right? right. Because again, guys can't help but lust after us. Right. And so when I would even talk to women, like they were just constantly checking for rings. And so I started getting classified more by my singleness in hmm. small groups than I did by being a non-Christian. Right. No I mean, right. it was wild. So it was wild. 
Yeah. So anyway, um, so the whole sexualized vibe and the way that you're just kind of, you know, categorized that way um, was really fascinating to me. But anyway, so yeah, I couldn't get permission. I went through a, co a couple different pastors, a couple emails and, and that sort of thing, but I never got that permission. And so, so basically I did this research in all public spaces, but an evangelical church, that's pretty easy to do. Also, Mars Hill's web content was exploding. Totally. Right? So they were totally. super sophisticated, cutting edge when it came to all the internet presence that they had. So I was able to, you know, download all kinds of sermons and talks and men's ministry talks and, and film and theology nights and all of this teaching content. Um, and so Basically, I you know, did my dissertation. I finished my doctorate in 2010. There was a long chapter about Mars Hill, um, but you know it wasn't the whole thing. And then I basically went to Miami, had a teaching gig there for a year, wound up coming back to CL for more teaching at University of Washington, and that was 2012. And during that time, more pastors and members started coming forward either on their own websites or through other media outlets, both secular and Christian, right. um, coming forward about stories of, of disciplinary abuse, controlling factors that yep. were untoward um, and shunning, you know, yeah. uh, and yeah. then and then the pastors being fired. So some of this stuff was already happening when I was attending and I would hear things that kind of. And I would know people that actually this, this stuff happened to, right? And I would suddenly notice they weren't around anymore. And I was just like, what's going on? That pastor's mm. not here. And I just talked to him a couple months ago. Right. And, and so it was like putting the puzzles or putting the pieces of a puzzle together. You know, like yeah. I was just like, wow, okay, this is even deeper than I knew in terms of how, you know, abusive and controlling and, and horrific it could, it could be. So, yep. yeah. Yeah. And on top of that, too, I mean, Mark has been this not forget right now. Let's go back into the past. You know, Mark has been around people who have also been accused and found guilty of some serious um, abuses like James McDonald, who's, who's a very, a very large pastor. Uh, he, he started a harvest fellowship, I, yeah. I believe in Chicago. Chicago, you know, huge fall from grace. He's still preaching though. I mean, that guy had some serious stuff come out. I believe if I'm not mistaken, he made a threat about trying to have his, his, uh, his daughter's uh, husband potentially like, like, like killed at one point, like crazy stuff. Uh, and he's still preaching, you know? So this is not, this is not uncommon. Now, I'm not sure, Jessica, how familiar you are with the evangelical space because, you, like you said, you were in it for for study and grew up in it. But this, unfortunately, on a, both a a local church level and a very public church level, this is the stuff that I hear about all the time. You know, yeah. pastors who no one knows about doing this kind of stuff, mega church pastors doing this kind of stuff, and the cycle keeps on happening. One of the thoughts I wanted to, to share as you were talking that I think is very important to realize is that a lot of the, the more evangelical mega church model, like Gateway Church, for example, which exports, honestly, a lot of its stuff to other churches, um, mm -hmm. it has a, a thing called Growth Track, for example. It's all available for free for other pastors to download and to emulate. Yeah. Um, those churches are quote unquote, you know, in in a very non-official way, liberal in in their form, right? They're 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 not Catholic. They're not. It's not liturgical. It's not formal. It's super laid back. It's chill. The music is hip. The the haze is out. And as a drummer in those spaces, I yeah. I get it, right? However, right. their theology is more fundamentalist. 
right? It's actually extremely conservative. And yeah. I find that interesting because for people in my spaces who are kind of deconstructing this for the first time, what we're realizing is that places like Lutherans, right, or, or Episcopalians, they're actually way more conservative in form, but way more liberal in some of their theology, which is just for us so interesting, you know? <laughs> yeah. So I, I totally get what you're saying where you walk into this space it's like, whoa, like this has a hip vibe. You assume that 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 the preaching and theology is going to match that only to find out you're really in the devil's den, so to speak. And you're really exactly. at, at the epicenter of some of the most misogynistic and homophobic things you're ever going to hear coming out of a popular evangelical space. Well, and it's fascinating that most of Seattle really thought that too. Yeah. Initially, you know, at the very beginning, you know, he was getting and the church was getting really positive press, yeah. you know, in the Seattle yeah. Times, um, in the weeklies, right? Like it was actually not, you know, getting any sort of negative reviews until around 2012, I would say. That's when things really started to, to fall apart. Um you know, real marriage came out then too, um, yeah. and, and things like that. I, he get he did, I guess, like 2008. Peasant Princess definitely, you know, hit some nerves for some folks. Um, I wouldn't say it was so much in Seattle, but we know, like, you know, MacArthur had oh, this yeah. whole thing against him. Although that's interesting too. I mean, it didn't get in my review for Christ, the Christian Today podcast review, but I, I had a section about MacArthur in that as well because I was following him a little bit in the midst of all this because he was one of the critics, and yep. Uh, yep. it's really interesting how. So, you know, <laughs> again, he's really not that theologically different from what they are not doing at all. And, and when I was reading like some of his stuff about like Driscoll and his problems with Driscoll, it was always about the rape of scripture, like the rape right. of the Song of Solomon, not about the rape of women. Right. right. Like yeah. not about Great the point. abuse of women. And, and that really was like I was just like, man, like <laughs> where am I going to find, you know, and then, and, you know, back to your point about like this is not uncommon. And like Doug Wilson. Oh, I mean, oh don't my get me started on Doug Wilson. Stop it right now, Jessica. Stop it. Do not get what me started is, on that cult leader. What is happening, man? I, I, I don't hate, understand. I hate to say it. Okay, so you know, I, I work my accounts the new evangelicals, right? I grew up in this space. I grew up in with with uh, in a church that idolized MacArthur, Piper, all those guys. Right. I hate to tell you this. It is way more common than people think. It is. And in like you said, you your point about MacArthur so obsessed about the correct interpretation of scripture over the correct treatment of people is spot on because that's why guys like Doug Wilson have these platforms, despite people doing long difficult journalistic investigations and exactly. citing witnesses. And it, it, it goes over like a lead balloon in, in, to those people, right? Oh, they're lying. Oh, it's not the truth because in their mind, Doug gets the quote unquote gospel, right? But the way he treats women and other people shows you that Doug gets the gospel wrong, but that's exactly. just how far we've come as an evangelical society, which is linked of course to Christian nationalism and so many other things that we can spend hours talking about, but right. you are correct in what you say. These guys have a very similar theology. And, and it's, it's, I might also add for some of the people out there who, who nerd out on this stuff, it is shifting because Calvinism, for example, Mark Driscoll has totally, totally recanted Calvinism, right? So MacArthur and John, uh, sorry, MacArthur and Mark don't have that in common anymore. What do they have? 
the CRT battle, the political right. battle. So we're seeing people united over political right-wing ideology, aka Christian yeah. nationalism, way yeah. more united than their love for even, I would say, a, a consistent Christian orthodoxy, right? Absolutely. And that's what we're seeing happening now, 100%. Yeah. Keeping churches open during COVID. I mean, you know, both MacArthur and Driscoll right there, you know, in cahoots, you know. Completely. When it comes to clothes, it's great to have options. But having pieces that you can wear anywhere is a must for everybody. That's why American Giant makes clothing that fits into your life seamlessly, with quality you have to feel to believe. And with an impressive selection of staples to choose from, there's something for everyone. So whether you're on the hunt for the perfect t-shirt, a solid pair of jeans, or super soft sweatshirts, American Giant has what you're looking for. Each American Giant piece is designed to last and created with commitment to doing things better. And all their products are made right here in America. Because keeping things local ensures the kind of quality you'll feel and appreciate for years to come. Discover the American Giant difference today. Shop Wear Anywhere Closet Staples at American-Giant.com and get 20% off your order when you use code WA23 at checkout. That's 20% off at American-Giant.com, promo code WA23. So I do want to talk about maybe a little bit about the 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 uh, the podcast, you know, the Mars Hill podcast that's come out. I I, I want to hear from you because I I've been, I'm all caught up. I listen to it every time it comes out. You know, I am kind of torn. I'm going to be totally transparent with you on this. In some ways, I'm like, wow they're really telling a story in detail that I just didn't know about, right? Like I didn't know some of the stuff that was happening. Some of these clips that, 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 that they dug up are just shocking to me. Um, at the same time, I, I've read articles like yours and heard from other women in this space who are like, ah, I'm not really feeling this a whole lot. And here's why. And I'm like, okay, also valid point. So kind of give me, you know, some of your perspective on this. Like, do you think there's anything good in this podcast or is it for you? Just kind of, I mean, that's sincerely, you know, like I'm not yeah. asking, I'm not trying to give you a, a back into a corner, but like for you, is it like this podcast is just totally done the wrong way? Or is it like, listen, I get what they're trying to do, but they're still stuck in the, in the evangelical model of, of whatever Mark was. Yeah, I, I would have to say a both and on that one, yeah. right? Like, like, to be honest, it was really painful for me to even start listening. Um, I was actually asked to write a review of this by a publication that then later bailed on me after I'd done a, a fair amount of work. And so uh. then I was and then, yeah, and then I had to shop it around stuff. So so this wasn't a hit job on my part. I was I didn't like listen to the episodes one by one and go, <laughs> damn it, I hate this. I'm going to write a scathing review. No, like, I did not do that. So I was commissioned to do this and I really put off listening for a while. All right. Mm, so because yeah. like, honestly, like I've gotten better at talking about my book and all the research that went into it, but it wasn't fun. I mean, it was pretty traumatizing for me too, even though, you know, and I I mean, I really, I mean, I love them to death. Like there's, there's a a fair amount of folks from Marcel still today that I care very deeply for and that I know care about me, you know, like I, at this point on a certain level, even though I'm still not a Christian, I do feel like an insider in some ways. Right. So, so, you know, we shared an experience of sorts, even though it's certainly not the same. And so one of the good things for me about the podcast is that I got to hear some of those people, tell some of their story. Right. And I got to, you know, hearing their voices. And I think in some ways, like that was a good experience or it opened up some possibilities for an interesting experience for some of them. Unfortunately, I do know that some people are not 
pleased with how it turned out for them and how they were represented. And I don't know all the ins and outs of that quite yet. And I don't want to say too much about that. Sure, like sure. that's their story to tell, not mine. Totally. But I, but I do know that that's the case. And so, you know, um, so, so I think the good is like, you know, at least some of these people got a chance to tell their own stories in their own voice. And I think that's beautiful. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. The bad, unfortunately, is that then, you know, they're not particularly happy in some ways about how they were still represented or portrayed and they wish that it had gone differently for them. So sure. that's not OK. And thankfully, in my book, I mean, that's one of my biggest concerns with writing a book such as I did. Right. Where yeah, you're like right. you're helping people. I mean, I was literally sitting with people. I mean, I told you I couldn't talk to people at the outset. Well, then as the church was falling apart, 2013, 2014, then I got to talk to people and yeah, um, yeah. The, the institutional review board was like, oh, well, Driscoll's not the head of this church anymore. It's dissolving. So you can right. go ahead. So I started to and it opened up, up just like so many amazing conversations. But I mean, I was with people processing a lot of stuff, a lot of trauma, a lot of like questioning about, you know, just how they could be a part of something like this, feeling duped, feeling like shame, you know, feeling yeah. so many things. So, um, so, you know, that's good about the podcast is in some ways they got to process that. However, I think that there may have been some ethical problems in the way some of that was handled. And I don't uh, know all the ins and outs about that. Fair enough. Um, fair enough. so, so there's that in my case, I listened to, I would say like the first five or six episodes, like okay. consecutively. Yeah. And, um, so I had a really interesting take because I kept hearing the same startup, right? So the same beginning. And at first I was like, oh, this is interesting. Like, you know, the, the um, King's Kaleidoscope, yep. you know, song, appropriate, right. good song, right? For like leaders at, at, at exactly. uh, Mars Hill, et cetera. Exactly. So I got that, right? I was like, right. okay, that, that's clever. Um, and, but then like, you know, it's just like the transitions from one episode to another, they were pretty jarring. I mean, I liked the episode on uh, where he did the stuff about like the mega churches, the really, really big churches. Right. And, and so there was some that, like, I thought that was pretty good standalone as like an interesting contextualization of like how the mega church movement came to be and yeah. like kind of yeah. fitting Marshall into that. Um but, you know, when he got to like four and five, that was the stuff about gender and sex. Those are yeah. the episodes that I'm in. You know, I was I was like a little worried about the way that I was represented in episode four because I was asked to talk about like why people stayed in the church and how it helped people and like what was positive for people. And so that's when I was talking about, especially like the call to men. Right. And and the way that men responded to um, certain kinds of, you know, uh, you know, whatever, like the, the, the purpose, right. The sense of purpose, the yeah. desire to do something and be some bigger, be right. part of something bigger than yourself and that kind of thing. Right. Very. Um, are you familiar with, with the book? Wow. That heart that came out in Christian totally. circles, very wild totally. and heartish, very right? wild a and beauty heartish. to rescue Absolutely. a battle to fight. Like, Absolutely. 18 year old me that. inhaled that book. Okay. Like <laughs> just flipping through all the pages as soon as possible. <laughs> True story. Yeah, it's, it. it is I what it, it is. I get it. I get it. I get it. You know, some of us have our, <laughs> like different we have our different books i mean for me it was like the stranger and Camus, whatever so <laughs> i mean but but so so anyway like 
like I, I listened to that episode and I was like, okay, I understand where this is going, but that's not all I said about gender. I talked about like, you know, how feminists were then like made into these enemies and women's empowerment outside the home was not really a good thing. And like, you know, not available to them. And so, you know, I was worried because I felt like I got cut off in that fourth episode. But then I thought he did a really good job of leading into the fifth episode. And again, it's not because it's just me. I just happen to have some insight into how my interview played out. Right. 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 But totally. it, was, it was I thought I respected and also appreciated the way that Cosper then used my my voice into that that very thing about like, OK, this was a problem for women, though, because they weren't given a lot of opportunities outside of the home. And and feminism was seen as this boogeyman, bad, you know, moral panic kind of thing. And, yep, yep, and, yep. and so, and so that led into that story about, you know, uh, Talladega nights and my first experience at the church. And I really appreciate the Cosper put in that clip as I was telling that story, because I was afraid that people would sit there and go, she's making this up. Right. <laughs> like right. that didn't, that didn't happen. Right. So the fact that like he found that footage and put that in there, I was like, thank you. Thank you. So thank you. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like I really like, I'm not like, okay, this whole thing was like horrible. Right. Right. I thought, right. I thought that was a really powerful episode. Now, I mean, I will say this, and I think that the, the critiques that I, this is not just coming from me. This is other folks that I've talked to and seen on social media and such like, you know, it, didn't use a lot of survivor stories, right? It didn't really highlight women's voices when they're talking about the trauma that they experienced, right? Right. And I will say that that, again, is a delicate thing to represent. However, by not centering it at all, or even like bringing that in and having so many outside voices and a little bit snippets here and there of other women from the church, but nothing that would really lead you to think, oh, but they were really traumatized or hurt by this in, in, in certain ways like that. And this is what ultimately I, I landed on. Right. It pulls punches consistently. Right. By not reading the worst of the worst or at least providing in note form the worst of the worst of some of Driscoll stuff, which yeah. it does not. It pulls punches on how bad Driscoll really was and still is. Yes. Um, yeah. And then and then it doesn't center, you know, women's voices enough. And it certainly doesn't center, you know, more about their pain and what they had to go through in that space. Yeah. Um, and even what they had to go through to make their voices heard at all. Right. Yeah. Like, I yeah. mean, there's a little bit of that, but like it really isn't pronounced enough. It doesn't really hit home how hard it really was. And so. Um, and so like, I mean, that mimics what happened at the church, right? I mean, women's voices aren't heard. Women's voices weren't heard. Mm. Right. So, so that's another thing that is a problem. And I, I, I hark to that in the review. And, and then, and then, and then finally with the branding episode, just like, I'll finish up here. Sure, sure, um, sure. like, but like the branding episode, I listened to that right after the episode on sex and the things we do to women. And it starts off with that seashells, John Piper passion, you know, and it goes back to men do something with your life kind of, you know, theme. And I just was like, oh my gosh, like we're back to the triumph, you know, we're back to redemption so quickly. Like, can we just hang a little bit and like a little, I mean, not that it's fun to do, but can we we stop a beat (laughs) to like, to try to process like really what people had to go through in this space, particularly women, but I would say men too, right? Like it was, it's not, you know, it's, 
it's a harmful doctrine to both men and women and women suffer in different ways. But I would argue also that men being trained to have sex every day, at least once a day, if you're going to be a real man and you have to be aggressive and you have to be a provider and all that stuff, that is also really difficult. You know, that's a load. <laughs> so, I mean, you're, you're, you looking, you're looking at a product of that. You know, I mean, my wife and I grew up yeah. in evangelical spaces. We waited to have sex. We were married. I mean, we we did things the quote unquote right way. Right. And I inhaled while that heart at 18. And, you know, I was part of a, a, a couple of friends of mine gave each other swords one time. I was like, you know, all this stuff. Right. And I, you know, you, you're absolutely correct. Right. And I, I, I think. <sighs> One of the reasons why it might be hard to even think about men being affected in, in negatively is because men are so often the the channels which the abuse happens, right? Like oftentimes, in fact, almost always, it's men who are abusing women in these spaces, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I get that. Like, we have to own that shit, frankly. It's, it's complete bullshit. Um, um, also, though, what have we been taught that that now we're replicating that harm to other people, right? Like, so how has that damaged us? So I think you're totally correct. One part I wanted to mention as you were talking was the I the, the thought of women not being centered enough is unfortunately, I wish it was only a Mark Driscoll or even a Mars Hill podcast problem. It is a white evangelical problem. And in many ways, an evangelical as a whole problem. Um, even, you know, so my account um, on Instagram it's 70% women follow me on Instagram, 70, wow. seven out of 10. And um, I talked to other Instagram accounts in my, in my circles and they have a similar makeup. And one of my unproven, you know, just hunches is that I think women have been silenced for so long in churches that, 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 that they're finding now their voice maybe through accounts like you know, mine and others that will actually platform their words in our stories and et cetera. Right. So there's definitely, um, it always seems like evangelicalism is behind like 30 years. And of course here we are. Right. But it just seems like this battle for just equity, like women's equality, women being seen as equals is such an uphill battle. When you have guys like Doug Wilson, right. And Mark Driscoll still being platformed saying things or who have said things with no repentance. Like people need to understand that in the Christian tradition, and you know, this repentance is like one Oh one, right? I mean, what do you do to become a Christian? You ask God to forgive you of your sins. You turn the other way from, from your lifestyle of sin. This is like, this is so basic, but we can't get guys like Mark who preached this garbage to us, right? Who have, who held us to that standard, who held people in his church to that standard, but he won't repent. And so I think a lot of us see that and we go, this is, it's bullshit. Like we're, we're, we're through with that mode of, of Christian, uh, Christianity, not that Christianity can't be beautiful. It is, it's rich, it's deep, it's complex, it's beautiful, but this particular slice of the pie is pretty much all rotten at this point. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. right. Yeah. I mean, Mark weaponized repentance. Yeah. I mean, he really did. And I mean, at, at the beginning of my book, I talk about like the fact that he refused to repent. He really like the, beginning of my book is basically him saying sorry but not sorry because i don't know who to repent to you know when when i knew who we had to repent to i had i had my my browser open to testimonies with names of people and i could have just told him you know like like so that kind of stuff is just like i mean that's what i really like i i was just like oh my gosh i really want to center i mean that is another reason that i just i couldn't wait to talk to people like that's that was kind of like my moment where i really started becoming involved 
people a lot more through the church, right? Like, as, as like I said, like, as they're really processing, like it falling apart, um, yeah. I was, w- I yeah. was with a lot of people through that, you know, and, and it really, it was good for me too, you know, mm. like, because I spent so much time. I mean, honestly, I listened to that guy's voice so much, yeah. you know, like, yeah. like having to transcribe. So, you know, dropping in a clip is one thing, but when you have to transcribe something and I wouldn't trust like the written transcription, cause I couldn't, you know, like sometimes sure. things would get cleaned up later. And so I, and I also like for the purposes of just like, again, affect, like the emotional, you know, bodily embodied component of what was going on. Like it was important for me to like really, pay attention to all that stuff yeah. so yeah so you know i was really deeply like i you know i again like i couldn't talk about my book very well or with any kind of like pleasure or or like enjoyment you know right. like yeah right. yeah yeah. I, like i had no sense of accomplishment for like right. a good couple years i was just like i don't want to you know like people are like okay let's talk about your book i'm like Ugh. right well it's heavy <laughs> i don't want to talk about this i yeah. thankfully i'm in a better place with it now but like i really even when i was like i gave that interview with Cosper like almost a year ago now it was wow. like November it was November right around election time that wow. I talked to him so like even then I was still kind of like uh but you know I've gotten a little bit yeah I'm, I'm cooler with it now well I mean it's it's heavy stuff and you know you witnessed this because you said you were close to people when when Marcel was dissolving one thing I did appreciate about the podcast is that it does seem like um, you really hear the, the 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 humanness in all of this, right? Like people's lives were directly affected by what happened. And as someone who grew up in that space or spaces like that, um, you know, it, ha- it has recently lost my own church community. It is really painful. Like it's really hard, even if like you didn't know what was going on behind the scenes, right? Just just to know like the friends that you thought were your lifetime friends are no longer. That is really hard for any human in any sphere to deal with. But when you attach the God language to it and the sense of adventure and sense of we're doing kingdom things, right. And we're doing things for heaven uh, and, 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 and for people and you lose that. I mean, that is, it's very heavy. I mean, it, it is some of the, the, the darkest sides of life, right. To experience that high than that total Valley. So the work you're, you're, you, that you did with this book and that, and that obviously you've seen is, it's of the utmost importance in a lot of ways because humans are attached to it, you know? Yeah. Um, I did want to kind of get maybe we have a few minutes left. I want to kind of zoom out for a minute because you made something, you made a statement that you are not a Christian, which actually excites me because I'm always, <laughs> I'm always curious to get people on the outside who are looking in to the world of evangelicalism. Right. And obviously I'm in it. I'm a product of it. This is my world. That's one thing. Okay. But obviously when you said Doug Wilson, clearly, you know, what's going on. So <laughs> yeah. I would like to hear like, what are some of your thoughts? And we, we're going to assume, and I'll make the claim, disclaimer I always do. We all know that these are, there are exceptions to the rules or good evangelical churches and systems out there, but we're going to paint with some broad strokes. Um, what are some of your perspectives right now of like, evangelicalism, the, where it's heading, what's going on with it? What are you seeing as, as maybe being problematic? Please just be you. Well, so my work is heading in a direction as you, you sort of gestured to earlier about Christian nationalism. So, you know, it's kind of an easy 
you know, it's not much of a leap really um, to go from, <laughs> no, you know, research not. on Mars Hill and Driscoll, which again, he's still doing right. So, yes. so he's yes. still doing this, like, anti- now he's into this like anti CRT, anti critical theory and conflating the two and mixing them all up and making it into this horrible satanic mix. He um, was also platform. Sorry to interrupt you. I didn't mean yeah. to cut you off, but I had, to, I had to mention it while you're saying that. He was also platformed recently by Eric McTaxis, who is a massive Christian nationalist who was part of the Jericho March, which we know where that led. So go ahead. Yes, exactly. So, yeah, I mean, he's basically on that bandwagon as far as I can. Totally. You know, and 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 honestly, I predicted something like that happening, you know, Mm. like. I didn't know one six was going to happen back when I published my book, but I actually right. have an interview um, with uh, Kristen Dumay actually. And, and, and wow. she asked me like, where do you see Driscoll going? And I was like, well, he's made this charismatic turn trying to rebrand himself. Like he has in the past, Yeah. but I think, you know, that's leading because, you know, a fair amount of the faith council of Trump were, you know, charismatics of one flavor or another. Yes. They um, were. So exactly I was right. like, I was like, you know, I could see him getting more political as things go on. And he even was at Mars Hill to a certain extent, like he sent out that tweet about Obama not, you know, knowing the Bible and, you know, like basically birtherism, you know, and and the tweet went viral. So anyway, like he's had his 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 dalliances with that. I've watched him now kind of feed into the stuff that we were just talking about. And so I'm really invested in seeing where, you know, the rubber hits the road when it comes to white evangelicalism and white Christian nationalism. Yep. And, and, you know, like you, you were saying, like, obviously not all white evangelicals are Christian right. nationalists and not all churches are, are necessarily of that vibe. However, I'm really invested in kind of seeing like, where this is happening on the ground in spaces like a public school meeting, right? Like where, where does Christian nationalism become enacted like in spaces outside of churches or outside of leaders like a Driscoll or Metaxas. Right. Um, So, yeah, so that's what I've been doing. And frankly, (laughs) I'm pretty pessimistic right now. I mean, what gives me optimism is folks like you and actually learning more in it through recent stuff, like even through this, you know, review of the podcast, like I'm really psyched that I've like met some pretty cool people who are, you know, processing their Christianity, something, right? Like yep. maybe even not yep. deconstructing or sure. some version of deconstructing yeah. that doesn't necessarily mean they're throwing it away right. or like whatever, yep. you know? And so that's been really interesting. And so like that part gives me hope when I see individuals doing that. And I know that that's hard and it's a lot of work and I have utmost respect for it. Um, however, I will also say like, there's some performative aspects to that, like with the Josh Harris stuff, right. Um, yep, it sounds yep. like you've covered that episode, so we don't have to talk about it. Um, so, <laughs> we but, did. you know, that, that was, that was, you know, not like you were saying, it was basically proselytizing at the end. And I think that the whole podcast, like it basically speaks to the fact that it's kind of a, a redemption project in a sense, right? Like yeah. God isn't, God isn't done with any of right, this, right? right? You know? Right, um, but right. anyway, which I find very condescending, but, um, yes, no, I, I understand. I, I get you it. You know, I think that's not fair. But, you know, I will say that, like, right now, I'm seeing really um, fascist kind of, you know, movements within uh, white evangelicalism in the, in the, you know, again, this kind of like in the leaders and then also in, in this kind of uh, 
sadly, like on the ground stuff that I'm seeing, like everyday folks, you yes. know, in spaces where they're really afraid of CRT and they're really afraid yeah. of, you know, what they Mass call trans, transgenderism. Yeah. Right. Um, yes. So, yes. you know, it's, it's, you know, it's, and it's, it's sad, you know, it's really sad how divisive and how fearful and, and how just, you know, confused yeah. um, people are, yeah. honestly. Yeah. And unfortunately, I have to blame, you know, like what happened during the Trump era and, and, and how white evangelicals like jumped on his bandwagon. Oh, yeah. And, oh, yeah. and I just, you know, and so my hope is that, you know, people like myself, stuff like my work can like sometimes, maybe not always, because sometimes it might be a little harsh or it might come across that way, but, but hopefully like, you know, build some bridges and like kind of get a sense that we're all in this together. And like, yeah. you know, I, I just, I I'm fearful about where the country is headed, frankly. And so yeah. I just would prefer like less fear, less intensity when it comes to these battles over yep. things that really we could be working together on as yeah. opposed to in opposition so antagonistically. Yep. And people like Driscoll, unfortunately, are still stirring the pot, right? And and <laughs> yeah. and certainly he's not the only one or the most vocal. So. No, I think that's really good. And, and, you know, for what it's worth, there are people out there in these spaces um, who are, you know, what I say is a lot of us are having a crisis of theology, not of faith. Meaning like we're finding that the theology we were taught about Jesus is problematic, not the person of Jesus himself. Right. And like right. the Sermon on the Mount, like that's, that's good stuff. Right. right. Um, but, um, you know, like you said, we're realizing that, um, some of the best critiques and best ways of framing it are coming from outside our own bubbles, which is great. Like we need people like you who are outside saying, guys, not only do you see it inside, we see it outside too. And with my expertise, here's a new way to think about this. Or it's like, Oh, this is so helpful. And I think what is, you know, I share a lot of your sentiments. I am also concerned about the direction of the country, but I'm really concerned for me. What I'm seeing is I'm seeing this really, um, like just powerful storm of you have like the Bethels of the world. They're getting more and more in, like vocally. I mean, when you have Bill Johnson, the lead pastor on, you know, public Instagram, IGTV saying that he thinks the election was fraudulent and, and then downplaying vaccines. That's a problem. Then when you see Sean Foy and how he's linked yeah. to Bethel and all those worship leaders are in cahoots, Brandon Lake, who's a big guy at Elevation at Bethel, he's playing with Sean Foy. Then you see how Eric Metaxas is tied into that. Then you see how he's tied into Greg Locke, who's also a Proud Boy sympathizer, right? right. And then you see Charlie Kirk and Candace Owens, who no one That's is right. talking about, making right. intentional strides into those churches, right? Yeah. In, I mean, they're on church tours. I've interviewed pastors who have them at their church, okay? Like this. This is an intentional, really unholy alliance of, well, I should say it's the fruit. I mean, these seeds of talk radio were planted decades ago, but we're really seeing the conservative political media machine realizing, thanks to Trump, what an ally um, many in the Christian evangelical space can be. And they're really pushing for it. And a lot of churches are buying it hook, line, and sinker. I mean, what's going over on in the San Diego right now in California? There's some churches that I follow that are it is they are giving out they are giving out to anyone who wants it a religious exemption vaccine. Right. And I'm like, 
what world are we in, right? Right. So rest assured that even us inside of this circle are seeing this nonsense, and it, yeah. it, we're seeing the connections. It, it's it's a powerful combination. I mean, they reach a lot of people, a lot yeah. of people. Yeah, yeah. It's Thank crazy. you for mentioning Charlie Kirk too. I mean, <sighs> you know, I've, I've even even the American First stuff. Oh with, my uh, gosh. You know, Nick Fuentes, right? Yeah. Actually, the the Proud Boys stuff. I'm also I've I've tapped into and I'm following that and like the, and the strains of white Christian nationalism that are in that movement is just nuts. That I mean. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's what I see and and unfortunately does make me a little bit like, all right, like we got to push the brakes on this hard and quick because like this is getting out of control. You know, this is truly I I hate to put it this bluntly, but I'm going to this is really white nationalism wrapped in Christian language. That's what this is. I mean, this is driven. I follow Proud Boys in their Telegram channels. I see what they post. Yeah. (laughs) All right. We we see the same stuff. And it's like, oh, and then you see they posted a a picture of them with Greg Locke. I'm like, oh, my God, like this. And no one talks about it. Right. These people like Doug Wilson, James White's another one, MacArthur. They're too busy talking about the cultural boogeyman called CRT to even take a good hard look at what's happening inside their own faith tradition. And I think, honestly, I mean, I don't I don't know if they're they're necessarily going to like. Um, grow numerically, but they're certainly going to grow in their voice. They're at least going to give the impression that they're growing numerically. You know, exactly. I mean, I'm even seeing now, last thing about Charlie Kirk, and I'll stop talking about him, but I'm seeing Turning Point now recruiting pastors to become Turning Point ambassadors. I'm like, oh, I mean, it's sneaky and it's working. I mean, these pastors yeah. are doing it. They're signing up. They want their clout. They want their fame. And, and they're ambassadors of Charlie Kirk now. And his I mean, so often just white national, just horrible things. So anyway, I, I, what you're talking about, I totally see. Unfortunately, I have to agree with you. I I think that this is not over yet. I think Trump will probably run in 2024 and I'll have tons of shit to talk about on my Instagram for the next four years. And, and I mean, I'll have tons of pastors to quote and people to show of how this is in churches and this is, it's a heresy. It is a straight up heretical teaching that needs to be expunged from, from churches as soon as possible, as soon as possible. Well, you're doing good work, man. I'm with you on it. I'm trying my best too. Yeah, I'm with you 100%. I tell you, it's really uh, good talking with you. I'm so glad we were able to meet up through this. Yeah, same. I appreciate you making the time. And, you know, this is heavy stuff, but it's hard work. And I appreciate you putting all the time and effort, especially on like an academic level. You know, I'm such a, uh, a feet on the ground kind of guy. I have some college under my belt, you know, so that that's just, just not my world, but my world is, is what I see from people. Right. And yeah. like, you know, it, it's, it's encouraging to know that I'm not crazy that you are in that world are seeing the same thing. So absolutely. Yeah. I appreciate you coming on. I would love to do it again at some point. You know, I'm sure we'll have plenty too. more to talk about. Yes. <laughs> Hours worth to go. I'm sure. I'm sure. Where can people find you? Where can they follow your work? Where where, where can they get your work, et cetera? Um, So I have like a Facebook for academics. It's it's an academia.edu account. I don't have my own website. I'm kind of like slow to that game. So um, yeah, I'm not really big on self-promotions. Like, so you can do that. You can find me on Twitter, uh, Dr. Jess Johnson on Twitter is my handle. Um, And uh, yeah, look for my book, Biblical Porn. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. You got it. I'll do it again soon.
Most of us have clothes that we've loved for years, maybe even decades. But it's harder than ever to find clothes that will stand the test of time. If you're looking for more pieces designed to last, you can't go wrong with American Giant. From hoodies and t-shirts to denim and more, they've got everything you need to build a wardrobe that you'll be proud of for years to come. All American Giant clothing is created with a commitment to doing things better. From the materials they use, down to the last stitch in every piece. And everything is made right here in America, in partnership with people and communities. Because keeping things local ensures the kind of quality you'll appreciate as soon as you receive your order. Discover the American Giant difference today. Shop wardrobe essentials that last a lifetime at American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code LT23 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com, promo code LT23.